The first Sunday after Christmas is always the solemnity of the Holy Family, and so our consideration today then is uh, naturally about them as well as family in general. And I, you know, no doubt we we see the pictures, the paintings, the figurines of uh, the Holy Family, and it um, I think gives us a very devout sort of view of the Holy Family. But we again tend to well, we can overlook the very human realities they had to contend with, Mary and Joseph. I mean, Mary and Joseph, like any couple, would have had all kinds of ideas and presuppositions about what their marriage would be like, presumably many children and, you know, many little carpenters running around, etc. right? And it didn't work out that way. It really, really didn't work out that way, right? God's plan was much different. And not only was God's plan much different, but it included a whole lot of suffering. And very, very early on, they had to, you know, retreat to uh, to Egypt as exiles. They had to stay there for for a good amount of time before returning until it was safe. Um, and then there was all the sufferings that came, you know, with Jesus just as he lived his life. There were a lot of sufferings, a lot of hardship. So we look at them and we think, well, you know, one of them's God, one of them is is uh, without sin, and the other one, poor guy, Joseph, had to lead him. <laughs> but he was called to lead them. He was the least perfect of all of them, just like every family. It's a joke, if you're following. <laughs> and he was called to, to lead them. God called him to a task that he perhaps was the least qualified for. And yet, God called him. So our consideration of, of family then... Um, now, you know I'm an expert in, in marriage and parenting, uh, given my extensive experience. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, my, my perspective on it might be helpful. And if it's not, we have donuts. <laughs> There's always a consolation prize. But I do have some thoughts for you and some encouragement, and, and I hope that you'll at least give it uh, a fair listen. Now... I've, I've talked to you many times about sort of the um, philosophical reasons and, uh, you know, all of the reasons why our culture is in decline, okay? And I've talked about postmodernism a lot, so I'm just going to kind of skip over all of that. You have to go back and listen to other homilies or we'll do a class or something. But my presupposition is that because of, or the presupposition for this homily is that because of postmodernism, because of all that's happening, the decline of Western civilization we're naturally left in a state of not knowing where to find things like truth. Now, just consider that. Where is the truth? Well, it's on this news station. Is it? Well, what about the other one? Well, it's not on that station, except for all the people who think it is. What about this other station? What about the fact that corporations own those stations? What about the fact that so many corporations pay for Advertising, like, that's not intermingled with what the truth is. The truth? Where do you find the truth? You go to college and, um, you know, so much of college isn't about actually pursuing the truth, but it's about indoctrination into certain, you know, philosophical ideas that are current this particular decade. You go to college to study one thing and you end up getting hit with all kinds of indoctrination socially. 
you can't even pursue the truth anymore. You talk to our young adults, you can't pursue the truth in, in colleges because to ask a question is to be insubordinate and it's to risk your, your college career. You cannot entertain free thought, which is crazy. It's what college is for, but it's not anymore. I'm sure some it's that way, but we all know that this is happening. We all know that in the school systems alone, yes, there are good teachers, absolutely. Some of them are here today. But we also know that they, the good ones fight against the indoctrination that they're told they have to deliver to your children. And so finding the truth, or I mean, if you're a kid and you use TikTok or Instagram or something, your feed, how do you know that's true? You shouldn't because it's all planned. It's all created for you, right? And it's all meant to create a certain narrative about the way they want you to see the world. And so in one sense, sort of globally, my recommendation is question everything, everything. Even God, sure, I can take it. You can ask me any question you want. You can question anything you want. I will have an answer, but I'm fine with it. That's how I was. Question everything. And don't, don't just presume that what you're getting fed is the truth. Now, when you have a crisis of truth or the ability to find truth and a crisis of meaning, and what we're basically devolving into is, is, is what's called nihilism, which is nothingness, like there's just nothing to hold on to, right? What has to happen is an antidote to that. So where do we begin, right? Because if, if we were to talk to just all of us, well, we have. All of us are dissatisfied with the culture in some way or other. We may not agree with what we're dissatisfied about, but we're all quite dissatisfied. We're quite unhappy, and I think we would all agree on that because the culture has lost its moorings. It used to be moored in, in you know, Western civilization. It was anchored to Christianity. But once that's overthrown, as it has been for a few centuries now, you have this sense of just, you know, it's like trying to walk on ice in, in tennis shoes. You're just, you, there's nothing stabilizing us. So what do we do? Because I want to give you an understanding of how we're approaching this as a parish and how I suggest we approach this as families. I don't think that we're probably going to change the world. I mean, I'm pretty confident, but, you know, that's probably a bit too much. But we might be able to change a piece of Northwest Phoenix or Glendale. And how are we going to do that? We're already doing that. Because we're building a culture here at the parish. We're doing this together where we're not afraid to ask questions. We're not afraid to pursue the truth. We're not afraid to disagree. We're not afraid to have a Republican and a Democrat in the same room sharing a meal and talking. We're not afraid of that because we don't have to be. We're not going to buy into what we're being told about how we need to interact with one another. No, we can love one another and be respectful and and you know, be kind to one another and disagree. And I think this is good. The other thing we're doing is we're pursuing, and this is more important even, but it's part of that, is we're pursuing truth and goodness together. We're pursuing truth and goodness together. And we're doing that in many, many different ways. We're experiencing the pursuit of truth and goodness together in, in church as we sing these beautiful songs with our fantastic music, 
Um, and even in the, the other things we do outside, you know, having concerts and the rest, it's all a part of my grand scheme of pursuing truth and goodness together, having fun, having joy, experiencing things that we would hope the wider culture would have, but very often fails. So we're recreating that here, or we're creating that here because it's been lost. I have been soaking you, basting you like turkeys in realist philosophy ever since I got here. And you may not even know what that is yet, yet. You will if you don't, but it'll take time. But part of that is the antidote for what we're experiencing. You just have to trust me on that. I'll do a class and I'll explain it all, but I can't today because we got to go watch football. Well, actually we don't, right? Because kickoff is until 625 for the Packer game and none of the games really matter. So I've got about six hours. No. Yeah, thanks for the booze. Um, so, so anyway, I don't want to turn it into a class, but let, let me move now. So as a parish, okay, we're pursuing truth and goodness. And of course, the ultimate truth and the ultimate good is God, right? It all leads to that. Now, what we want to then do is, is see how that filters into the families. Because, you know, I think we're all wondering, how do we change what's happening in the culture? Well, everybody who's ruining the culture came from a family. So everybody who's going to fix the culture is going to come from a family. And so my assertion is we need to heal and fix our families. We need to make our families as healthy, right, as good as possible, encouraging our kids, parents taking it upon themselves to be the ones who encourage your kids to pursue the truth, to ask questions, to pursue goodness, to encourage that. As soon as somebody gets that, as soon as somebody is the light, the light bulb turns on that truth can be pursued and found, and the same with goodness, it changes a person's life forever. It's not just mere obedience, although that can have value, especially when the kids are young, but it's that encouragement of pursuing truth and the parents modeling that for the kids. I'm going to model that, hopefully I am, toward you, and you model it to your kids. Now, we may not change the world, but we might make a dent in some, some small areas, just even in Arizona. It's generational, though, what we're doing. It's a big deal. And so my encouragement to you is to, to keep focusing on that as parents, to see that as your goal. Now, specifically, kids, parent, kids and husbands and wives. Now, as we hear in, you know, everybody loves to hear the subordination thing, right? I mean, that's the elbow Sunday. Kids, obey your parents. You know, husbands, love your wives, be subordinate. So one of the things that we have to understand about the scriptures is that very often what we read and we think, well, that doesn't really apply today, right? I mean, but back then, what, what's being asserted is actually a positive forward development in relations between husbands and wives and children. Just like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a development in ethics in the Old Testament, so too even what we're hearing in that second reading is a positive development. Now, obviously, you know, relations between men and women have changed, and some of this is culturally situated. But there are some perennial truth. I'd rather have it read and us be exposed to us and hear it and contend with it than just sort of ignore it and pretend it's not in the scriptures. 
I think we should contend with everything and look at squarely and say, okay, how do we make sense of that? And, and so when we move to husbands and wives then, now women, you should know that in the men's group, I'm pretty tough on the guys and always will be because unless you kick them in the head, they don't get it. You gotta be, t- <laughs> you gotta be kind of tough with men, you know? And so men, particularly, I want to encourage you to be leaders. There, there is an assault on masculinity today. There is an assault on being a man, etc. That's obviously happening. We see it. And a lot of that is a relic or a remnant of misused leadership or lack thereof, of you know, sort of male domination or what I think is real, some sort of toxic masculinity. All this stuff can be real. We're not looking for a bunch of macho men, you know, if we even use that word anymore, dominating women. It's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is men who are not afraid to lead their families to God, to truth, and to goodness. You know, it's in the heart of every man, and it's important, you know, ladies, that you understand this, a man has a natural inclination to protect. I have that too. I have a natural inclination to protect all of you, to make this parish safe, and to make it safe not just physically, but to make it safe in, you know, what is being proclaimed and what is being done, and, you know, for the whole environment to be something that can help you feel safe and secure. Men have a natural desire to do that. And statistically, we also know wives have said they have a natural desire to feel protected and to feel safe, which has nothing to do with the degradation of femininity or any of that. But there are these sort of natural inclinations that seem to persist. And so men, it's important to be leaders. It's important to protect your families. It's important to lead them to God, but to, it's also important to earn that leadership. And how? Paul gives us an idea here. It's, it's, done, through, um, it's done through cherishing your wives and showing them that. Well, Father, once a year, I tell them I love them. Congratulations. Yeah, that's if you remember your anniversary. You should be telling your wife, you, she is the most important person in your life. She should be. And you should be telling her until she's tired of hearing it, how much you love her over and over and over. You need to be buying her flowers on a regular basis. You need to be sending her cards. You need to be doing all kinds. Of, you need to be coming home and sacrificing. That's what men are called to do. That's what leadership is. It's ultimately sacrifice for a greater good. The leadership of Christ on the cross is the leadership of a man to his family. And that rightly then will allow a woman to to see her husband as a leader. That doesn't mean that a woman doesn't lead. I came from, a you know, my parents were divorced when for 10 years when I was younger. And my mom raised my sister and I. I come from a family of strong women. And I think that's fantastic. It's wonderful. But it didn't stop me from understanding that I had a role to lead as well. And I do it within this context. So men... Cherish your wives, sacrifice for them. Never stop telling them how precious they are to you. Share your hearts with your children. Tell your children you love them. Don't stop, keep doing it. When they're teenagers, they'll hate, they'll hate it. Stop, stop hugging me, stop, keep doing it. 
Keep doing it. It's all fake. It's just teenagers making, they're just uncomfortable with everything. Children, obey your parents. This comes from God. It's number four on the top 10 list of commandments. It's a big deal to God. And, and also remember, it's a good because your parents love you so much and they've given so much for you. They've given you the most important thing you could ever have, which is life itself, the ability to know God. He really wants you to obey them while you're in the home, but to always, for the entirety of your life, to respect and honor them. And we're told by God that if we do this, we will be blessed greatly. This is important to God. It's really important. So if you're little, you know, it's, it's tough. But even as you get older, it gets tougher and tougher. You're a teenager, it's harder and harder. But nonetheless, God desires you to obey this because it's good for you. And I just, as hard as it is, I, I encourage you to trust God, to trust what he's giving us. And then wives, you're perfect. I have nothing to say. <laughs> I've learned, right? Can't say I don't know something. You know, wives the same. Allow your husbands, or similar, allow your husbands to lead, right? Sometimes wives can be so nervous and, and, and can feel so insecure that they try to take on more than they ought to. And it can, it can frustrate that relationship. And what I say to you as, as husbands and wives, the most important relationship in the family is your relationship. Your relationship either stabilizes or destabilizes the entire family. Pay attention to it. If you're starting to have problems, get some help. Statistically, by a wide margin, by the time couples ask for help, it's basically too late. So start early. The little things can build a wall over time. Pay attention. Get in there. Do the work. Don't ignore it. Don't let the family just be consumed with caring for the kids. That obviously is such a priority, but the marriage has to be the priority. Don't forget that. Don't forget, you know, that one time or there was a moment in time where it was just the two of you and you, you came to see each other as beloved. You never want to let go of that. You never want to lose that. And I realize it can fade and it can change and, and marriage changes, but if you can once in a while reclaim that and remember and remember that and express that and experience that, how nourishing that would be for both of you. So I encourage us then as a, as a community to continue to build this focus of joy and goodness and truth, which all leads to God, as a sort of a macrocosm for all of the microcosm of our families, so that then it penetrates into our families so that each unit, each family unit, is doing the same. We're experiencing joy together. We're pursuing goodness together. We're pursuing truth together. And we're not afraid of asking tough questions and trying to find good answers. And together, I think we're gonna make a difference. I think we are making a difference. And we're gonna make a big difference in the years to come. Please stand. <laughs>